0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm
1: Greg Jarrett.
0: I'm Shannon Bream.
1: I'm Steve Ducey, And this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, July 11th, 2022, I'm Mike Emanuel. Retiring Senator Patrick Leahy has served Vermont for eight terms. Now Republican Christina Nolan is seeking to replace him. She says Vermont voters want change and a new approach on Capitol Hill.
2: They are so tired of the extremism on both sides. They are so tired of people screaming at each other at podiums rather than rolling up their sleeves and getting things done. And that is absolutely what I will do when I'm in the U.S. Senate. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. More people are working. We gained
3: 372,000 jobs in June. And yet tackling inflation may mean a reversal of that trend in the near future.
4: What the Fed has going for it is this robust job market. That's a blessing and a curse for the Fed. They have to somehow slow it down a bit, but they have the benefit of people being employed and the job market being very tight.
0: And I'm Leslie Marshall. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown.
1: In a 50-50 United States Senate, every race this fall counts. One interesting contest is Vermont, where Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy is retiring rather than seeking a ninth term. The likely Democratic nominee is Congressman Peter Welch. On the other side, Christina Nolan is seeking to be the first LGBT Republican ever elected to the Senate. Nolan is a former United States attorney, with a strong record on domestic violence and drugs at a time when fentanyl is threatening American communities. She says it's time to break up Washington gridlock.
2: I'm hearing from voters all over the state, whether they be Democrats, independents, Republicans, or people who have never voted before, that they're voting for me because they are ready for change and fresh perspective in Washington. And I don't blame them one bit when you look at what's going on.
1: Christina Nolan is a Republican candidate running for Senate in Vermont.
2: My expected opponent in November has been in Washington for 15 years and nothing is going in the right direction. And people want change uh, all across Vermont. Vermonters are a very independent minded people. They vote Republicans into statewide office all the time and they vote on the person.
1: You have a serious background as a former United States attorney. How does that prepare you to serve in the United States Senate?
2: Well, because I have a record of getting things done for Vermonters. Um, We convicted Purdue Pharma, the pharmaceutical giant uh, that illegally marketed oxycodone, causing the addiction crisis in Vermont and across the country. We convicted numerous other high profile white collar criminals. Um, Overdose deaths came down during my tenure as U.S. attorney for the first time, because frankly, we charged a lot more drug dealers than were being charged before I started. Mm And we made a lot of accomplishments when it comes to issues that matter to women, whether it be convicting vicious human traffickers, those who commit domestic violence, many other issues that matter to women. So if I'm prepared because I have a track record of getting things done for Vermonters, working with the other party, by the way, working with Democrats. I'm also a native Vermonter who understands the state, loves the state and understands what's on the hearts and minds of people in Vermont, which is they want to be safe. And they want to have an affordable life. Right now, they're not feeling either of those things are happening.
1: I think when a lot of folks think of Vermont, they think of uh, the current United States senators, Bernie Sanders and Patrick Leahy. But uh, Vermont has elected a Republican before in Jim Jeffords. Does that say to you, "Hey, I've got a chance"?
2: It absolutely. I, I'm going to win this election, Mike. And I hope that your listeners will go to nolanforSenate.com and join the effort. I absolutely know we can win this race because, again, people are ready for change and a fresh perspective and they vote on the person in Vermont. They vote on the person and person who's going to do best by them. I've also been really privileged and honored to have the endorsement of Governor Scott, Governor Phil Scott, our very popular Republican governor in Vermont, as well as uh, former governor, uh, Republican Governor Jim Douglas, who served four terms in Vermont as well as US Senate leadership. So, and, and I'll add police associations in Vermont, never endorsed candidates, but they've endorsed me. So we are on the road to victory um, and looking, looking forward to these next four months
1: as a former united states attorney one issue we've been following a lot recently is the fentanyl crisis in this country uh just devastating the loss of life lots of young people taking something they think they know what it is and it's a a fentanyl pill instead uh talk to us about that crisis and what's alarming you about it
2: yeah i as i said uh when i was u.s attorney uh overdose deaths came down for the first time ever in vermont but unfortunately since i've left in post-pandemic things are going in the wrong direction. We lost 215 precious lives in Vermont to overdose death last year. We've never seen a number so high. And across the country, of course, we know we're losing 100,000 people a year to overdose death. We need to secure the border because the fentanyl that is killing such a tremendous number of people each year, horrifying loss of life that is coming over the border from Mexico and the border. There's a crisis on the border. But the cri- the worst part of the crisis, in my view, is that this deadly poison is being trafficked across the border for profit, resulting in the deaths of precious Vermonters. And we need to fund and support our police, um, which I will always do. But they haven't felt support in Vermont um, from our leadership. And that's why they're endorsing me.
1: Here in Washington, folks like to put people into certain categories. Like what kind of Republican would she be or what kind of Democrat is this person? Uh, You've described yourself as a Christina Nolan Republican. So what is that?
2: Well, the the beautiful thing about the Republican Party is that there's a lot of diversity of viewpoint within it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that about our party. I am a Christina Nolan Republican. I don't define myself by reference to anyone else. I, I will tell you that I've been endorsed again by Governor Phil Scott. Susan Collins. These are Republicans who think I would be a good addition to the Senate. But I'm an independent minded Republican who will always do the right thing. Um, And yeah, I think a Christina Nolan Republican is the right way to put it.
1: I covered Capitol Hill for more than a decade, and it seems to me that over the years, more and more polarizing type folks have gotten elected. And so the deal makers in the middle don't seem to be as prevalent or as powerful. It sounds to me like you're thinking you could be a deal maker to help get some big things done.
2: That's a big part of the reason that Vermonters are going to elect me. They are so tired of the extremism on both sides. They are so tired of people screaming at each other at podiums rather than rolling up their sleeves and getting things done. And that is absolutely what I will do when I'm in the U.S. Senate.
1: What do you see as some of the key issues right now? And what are you hearing from Vermonters about the big issues bothering them? Clearly, I'm sure inflation is one of them, fuel prices, that sort of thing. But what else do you see as top issues in this campaign and, and really facing this country right now?
2: The number one issue, Mike, is public safety. People in Vermont are not feeling safe. And there was just a shooting in Burlington, our biggest city last night. We're up to 16 total this year in Burlington, but all over the state, we're seeing shootings running rampant. And of course we're seeing this trend across the country. So number one is they want someone who will support the police, not vote to defund them, which I would never do. It's the worst idea in uh, current, uh, current politics. So public safety, uh, overdose deaths, we've already touched upon. We need to reduce those again in Vermont. We're losing precious lives and families are being torn apart. And then of course, inflation. Uh, this is a tax on the middle class, on the working class in Vermont that they did nothing to deserve. It's the summertime, but families are choosing not to travel because they can't fill their tanks. And they are choosing which groceries to buy and which to skip because they can't afford the prices in the grocery store. So those definitely are are issues that come to mind as top of mind for Vermonters and issues that I can address and do something about.
1: This past week on the 4th of July, of course, we saw a massacre in a beautiful community outside of Chicago. Uh, I covered uh, a thwarted massacre in Richmond, Virginia that was also planned for the 4th of July. I'm wondering, as someone with a serious legal background as a former United States attorney, what your thoughts are on some of these issues and what our society can do to get a handle on these things? Because it seems to me like they're not going away and and maybe maybe it's not just guns, but like, what can we do as a society to get a handle on this and make it safer for all of us?
2: Well, I, I'm a supporter of the bipartisan legislation that came out of the Senate and was ultimately passed. And if mm-hmm. I were in the Senate, I would have been right in the thick of those discussions leading the way. And so I, I support that package. I think that we need to do, we need to address what is obviously a mental health crisis amongst young people um, in our country. And I'm glad that that legislation address the issues of mental health uh, and school safety you know in vermont we do not have enough beds for people uh, who are adolescents in acute mental health crisis and we need uh, people to start coming together Um, when you see something going wrong when you see somebody who's uh, perhaps suffering with a mental health crisis don't just walk away try to forget about it we need to start talking to each other treating each other well and helping each other Each one of us has a role to play when we see somebody who's entering into a dangerous mental health crisis.
1: I know in your background as United States attorney, you prioritized a range of issues affecting women in the great state of Vermont, using existing federal gun laws to charge domestic abusers. What else are you proud about, about your service there as a United States attorney?
2: Yeah, um, a couple of things, actually. Um... We, I think I alluded to this, but uh, we increased charges against dangerous offenders by 51%. Um, and that made communities safer because we need accountability when people are committing crimes in our community. But at the same time, as U.S. attorney, I work closely with treatment and prevention providers um, because we know that a huge part of the solution is getting people into treatment when they're addicted to drugs and preventing them from using drugs in the first place. So I was very much involved in a holistic uh, approach to the problems that face us. I also helped to open a recovery house in North Central Vermont for women who have been victims of violence and trauma and addiction, um, who have suffered addiction, I should say. It was a first of its kind recovery house in the country with a spectrum of services that included vocational support, employment support, mental health counseling, addiction counseling and i worked with a nonprofit and with um, treatment providers to get that off the ground so a lot to be proud of our work we did landmark cases that garnered national recognition but we didn't lose any productivity we increased the number of cases we were bringing
1: as a summa cum laude graduate of the university of vermont i bet you have quite a network across the state and and i'm sure your fellow uvm grads are quite proud to have you in the race what about that
2: You know, it's a small world here, Um, a very uh, small state. And yes, there's not six degrees of separation in Vermont. There's about one or two. So um, (laughs) a lot of know a lot of people here, uh, uh, see a lot of people I know walking down the street, feel a lot of excitement um, from people who have known me for years, um, you know, just from growing up here. This is very much going to be a a grassroots campaign uh, with a, a lot of support from people who have known me as a lifelong Vermonter.
1: I realize your campaign's not over. You still got uh, four critical months, Um, but I'm wondering if you have some lessons learned from campaigning across the great state of Vermont and from things you've heard from potential constituents.
2: Yeah, uh, the big takeaways are number one, authenticity. You have to be who you are and people can tell when you're being authentic and I will always be that way. And then the other big, big thing I'm hearing is we need change. People are tired of leadership that's not working for them. They want someone who will go to Washington and work for people. And I hope, uh, again, nolanforsenate.com if you agree with that sentiment, that's certainly the way that Vermonters are feeling.
1: What do you think Bernie Sanders reaction will be if you win?
2: <laughs> oh, we're going to work very well together. I've worked with Democrats for my entire professional career. We're going to find common ground and we're going to get things done for people. So I think it's going to go very well.
1: Christina Nolan, Republican candidate for Senate from the great state of Vermont. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to seeing you out on the
2: trail. Mike, thank you. It's great to be here.
5: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering,
3: Heading into the weekend, there was some good news. 372,000 jobs were added in the month of June. And that was after President Biden had said about a month ago regarding May's job numbers that we should start expecting blockbuster jobs numbers to stop as the economy moderates. Friday's increase in jobs was higher than expected.
6: Today's economic news confirms the fact that my economic plan is moving this country in a better direction.
3: The president said these numbers mean all private sector jobs lost during the pandemic are back. The sector that shed jobs this time around was the government. The president acknowledged inflation, noting things do cost more, but said
6: gas prices still way too high, have fallen out 25 days in a row. And this week, we saw the second largest single day decrease in gas prices in a decade.
3: But the tones from administration officials didn't sound too celebratory. This was Labor Secretary Marty Walsh on Bloomberg Friday.
1: There's still a lot of unanswered questions about the economy. It's still kind of in, in a very, you know, interesting place.
3: The president had told us a week earlier that we may have to stomach high gas prices for as long as it takes to ensure Russia's President Vladimir Putin doesn't win in Ukraine. The Fed is managing all of this by raising rates, which is meant to cool things down. But the trick, of course, is doing it in a way that does not do more damage. This, as the Fed predicts, slightly higher unemployment than 3.6 percent, where it sits now.
4: Well, it was a good jobs report. It was strong by any
3: measure. John Bussey is associate editor at The Wall Street Journal and a Fox News contributor.
4: That does not mean that the economy is not moderating. I mean, You have two forces that are at work. June had 372,000 more jobs added to payrolls. Um, You have a 3.6 unemployment rate, which is near a 50-year low in unemployment. Uh, That's a really, really good, strong number. Um, And very importantly for people that are finding jobs or out searching for jobs, Uh, earnings and wages are up a little bit more than 5% from a year ago. So you're earning more than than you would have uh, a year ago. Um, But there's no question that the economy is also moderating. It seems like a contradiction, but it's happening. Hmm. And that means that you're going to continue to have inflation, which the Fed is trying to fight. Uh, The expectation that they're going to raise interest rates again in July by 75 basis points, which is uh, three quarters of 1%, uh, that's still pretty much on track. And you basically saw across the spectrum, pretty much everybody adding jobs, except for the government. The government was the only major category that that cut jobs. You still have a situation where demand is outpacing the supply of employable people. Um, uh, It's just a very good time to be out looking for work.
3: Can you talk to us, though, about what that means for inflation? Because we might think, okay, great, People are working. Wages are higher. But how does high demand for workers tie into inflation or maybe even make inflation worse in some respects?
4: Well, I think what you just said is one of the uh, most Key issues that the Fed is wrestling with. Because when you have a tight job market and people are bidding for employees, wage rates go up uh, because they have to pay more. And that gets passed right along to the consumer. Wages and employment costs are one of the, the biggest parts of any business. So that gets right passed right along to the consumer. That means that you, you have inflation. And that's what the Fed is, is wrestling with. So it's r- raising interest rates in an effort to moderate those parts of our enormous economy. We have an economy of $23 trillion a year. It's raising interest rates to moderate those parts of the economy that are interest rate sensitive. So it's a bit more expensive now to get financing for a car. It's more expensive to get a mortgage for a house. It's more expensive for businesses to borrow money to expand. And so the Fed's trying to essentially takes some of the gas out of the economy to lower activity so that you don't have uh, as as much inflation. And you're, you're actually seeing that begin to have an effect. The Consumer spending has cooled a bit. Home construction is slowing a bit. Manufacturing is declining. Um, and some some economists believe that we're already in something of a contraction, maybe not a huge one, uh, but that we're already, already in uh, recession. But it's not clear that jobs are going to follow that trend. Uh, You you, you basically had, you know, in the 12 recessions since World War II, every single one had uh, unemployment rise rather significantly. Uh, 2022 might be slightly different.
3: What is your sense of the Fed's next steps, though? I mean, you referenced the July rate hike of 75 basis points being likely, but Can you look even further ahead than that? How high could they go? Might they go? Um, And I I assume you're going to tell me that they're going to have to do this balancing act, right, so that we don't go too high. We don't want to cool off the economy too much. But what is the process like in trying to get to that sweet spot?
4: Well, it is a sweet spot that they're looking for, and the Fed has a mixed record over the over the decades of actually hitting the sweet spot. I mean, this is this is both art and science, and they don't always get it right. As a matter of fact, most of the time, uh, the Fed action when they're raising rates to try to cool uh, inflation results in a recession. A recession isn't horrible uh, unless it's deep. Um, but it usually comes with jobs declines, which is not good for uh, you know Americans. Uh, this one, again, may be slightly different. And what the Fed has going for it is this robust job market. That's a blessing and a curse for the Fed. They have to somehow slow it down a bit, but hmm. they have the benefit of people being employed and the job market being very tight. Baby boomers are leaving the job market. You've got sections of the job market like leisure hotels restaurants that are really just still recovering from the pandemic and so they're going to be adding jobs kind of no matter what uh as people start vacationing a bit more um mm. and going out a bit more uh for, for uh, you know to restaurants um but look we, we did a survey of of economists we do this every month and an increasing number over the last s- several months have said there's gonna be a recession um John Hilsenrath has written uh, on this as our Fed reporter. Uh, yeah. th- the latest survey says you know roughly 40 percent of those economists s- say a recession is coming. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, most of those economists say that the, the jobless rate is not going to spike. Uh, they think that ah, it'll hit somewhere around 3.9 percent unemployment by the end of 2022 and 4.6 percent Unemployment by the end of 2023. Those are incredibly low numbers historically, uh, never that low since World War II uh, mm. in a recession. So th- those are the those are the push pull forces at work in the economy right now.
3: I know the Atlanta Fed signaled that um, they were thinking the second quarter was going to be negative again. When do we find out if GDP was negative in the second quarter?
4: In the next couple of months, we'll get the GDP report. We've already had a contraction in the first quarter, uh, first calendar right. quarter of this year. So, some of that was, in, it was kind of a little funny. Um, it was inventory-based. Co- companies had added to their inventory so much in the last quarter of last year that they didn't need to manufacture more stuff. Oh, uh, they had it right. all already on the shelf. Um, so, you know, was it, a, was it a typical contraction where business is really, you know, not manufacturing? Not, not quite. But nonetheless, it was it was a contraction. Same thing might happen in the second quarter, um, and you might already be in a uh, you, we might already be in a recession. Um, so we'll, we'll find that out. But for the average American, um, are they going to feel that recession if every time they go out they see job openings, they see pretty much robust economic activity? There's a huge amount of cash still in households, uh, in bank accounts that built up during the pandemic when people weren't spending. Uh, businesses have $4 trillion in cash to spend. So, there's a lot of mitigating forces against the recession. Uh, but then you
3: go through it so quickly, right, because of inflation.
4: Well, you can go through it quickly, but inflation... And other factors are causing consumers to pull in their spending a little bit now, which is kind of what the what the Fed is after. So you may not see that cash hoard in households. It's about 18 trillion uh, in cash now. That's up from about 13 trillion on average before the pandemic. That's a lot of money still to still to spend. Those are those are tailwinds for for the Fed. Um, And that'll kind of help moderate a recession but that's not to say that the fed's not going to get it wrong they may raise rates and raise rates and raise rates so much that it pitches the economy into a deeper recession that they had planned
3: John are these job gains actual jobs created by you know the administration are these like new jobs because I I keep hearing people like who are critical of the president say you know these aren't these are jobs that came back from the pandemic like how do we define a new job versus a job that reappeared after it was sort of on hiatus, if you will.
4: Yeah. You know, put the politics aside, um, because, you know, there's not a lot that anybody in that position president of the United States can do to guide an economy the size of ours. Uh, They can jawbone it, you know, a lot um, and they can pass stimulus programs. But it's an enormous economy that operates on a lot of independent forces that are completely independent of the White House or of the of the the Congress. A lot of these jobs are jobs that disappeared during the pandemic. You had an incredible drop uh, in jobs, 22 million jobs lost in a couple of months in 2020, when when businesses just shut down and they weren't sure when they were going to start up again. That's on the order, you know, 14 times more than, than uh, what happens in, in, uh, in typical recessions in the past. So it was an enormous drop. A lot, a lot of what you're seeing is a recovery of those jobs. All that said, the unemployment rate is still very, very low. It's not like there's an enormous pool of people still out there unemployed. Uh, the unemployment rate is well below what was considered full employment back in the late 1990s. So it's a filling of jobs that are coming back, like in the leisure industry, like at hotels and restaurants um, and manufacturing. It's not jobs that are necessarily created by the previous administration, this administration or the next administration. Um, it's 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 the U.S. economy that's creating those jobs.
3: John Busse, thank you so much for your time, as always. My pleasure.
7: Here's a look at the week ahead.
6: Monday. The House will hold a hearing on ending veteran hunger and examining the impact of COVID-19 on food insecurity. Monday is also July the 11th, 7-Eleven. And the convenience store franchise will celebrate its 95th birthday with free small Slurpees available for everyone. Tuesday. President Biden hosts Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador at the White House. And the January 6th committee investigating the Capitol Hill riot holds the first of two hearings on the week. Amazon also begins its two-day Prime Days event. Wednesday. President Biden meets with Israeli and Palestinian leaders as part of an overseas trip to the Middle East. Friday. The president continues his overseas trip in Saudi Arabia as former President Trump, Ivanka Trump, and Donald Trump Jr. are scheduled to testify in the New York Attorney General's investigation into the Trump Organization. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Kevin Uretzky.
7: Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Leslie Marshall. What's on your mind?
0: After the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, I and many others, not just in my party, became sick to their stomachs. We saw marches, outrage from high profile politicians and celebrities, and even one rock star, Billy Joe Armstrong, lead singer for the band Green Day, revealing he is renouncing his U.S. citizenship at a concert in London after the decision. There were many who believed this made the USA no longer great and no longer free. And I disagree. The United States of America has had and still has its problems. We've had slavery, had and continue to have racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, homophobia, sexism and hatred toward those in the AAPI community. There was a time when women couldn't vote and heck we women couldn't even have a credit card until the mid 1970s. But despite the rights we see being taken away from us and put into the hands of the states, despite 26 states and counting planning to ban abortion with 41 individual bans and 10 states wanting no exceptions, even in the cases of rape or incest, I still believe our nation is great, the greatest, the leader in democracy and in freedom throughout the world. Here are some things that make our nation great, even greater than other nations throughout the world. Diversity. We have the most diverse population with various races, religions, and ethnicities. First Amendment. We have a First Amendment that not only provides freedom of speech, as many other nations do, but protects religious freedom and freedom of the press. As far as that free speech, Americans are among the world's most supportive citizens with regard to free speech, even if it criticizes the government or supports an unpopular opinion, freedom of the press and the right to use the Internet without government censorship. Americans are also more tolerant of offensive speech than people in most other nations, despite what you might think after reading social media. We lead the world in aerospace and in aviation. If you desire to be an entrepreneur, it is very easy to start a business in the United States, the land of opportunity compared with other countries. We are one of the world leaders in medical innovation and the world's top three hospitals, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, and Massachusetts General Hospital, all are in the United States. We have the strongest military power in the world. I could go on. I could also list things we are not first in, best at, or excel in. And although we are number one in so many things, we in the United States are in jeopardy of losing that status if we do not come together as a nation and stop trying to undo what our founding fathers truly wanted for us as a nation. For example, we must respect the wall of separation between the church and state, as Thomas Jefferson described, the adoption of the Establishment Clause and resist becoming an extremist or fascist nation. Our democracy is truly in danger with recent Supreme Court rulings and potential future decisions. Still, despite our flaws, I'm still proud to be an American, proud of the opportunities that I as a woman and as an American have and that people in so many countries do not. And I am hopeful for the future, secure in the knowledge that good will prevail over evil and the nation that fought like hell to right wrongs will continue to do so. I'm Leslie Marshall.
7: listening to the Fox News Rundown, Rundown. stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.